T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome to WTIC's Pet Talk. Today, Lori Fast takes your pet behavior questions. This is a show for you and your best friend. Call in now at 522-WTIC, 1-800-966-WTIC, or star WTIC from your cell phone if you have AT&T Wireless. And now, Pet Talk. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Pet Talk. This is the behavior edition. My name is Lori Fass, and I'm here today to talk to you about your pet's behavior and other pet-related issues, and I'm going to go a little off topic today, um, but I'd love to hear from you, and um, the numbers to call in are 860-522-WTIC, or if you wanted to talk to me off the air and people have been taking me up on that offer, and the only thing that I ask in return is that if I give you advice, uh, you get you get back to me and say, I did it, it worked, I did it, it didn't work, or it kind of worked, or why it worked, why it didn't work, because that sort of feedback is really helpful for me. Um, I, sometimes how I present information might make the difference between whether it's going to work or it's not going to work. So sometimes I have a really good idea, but people's perception of how to put it together it gets a little messed up. And sometimes if, you know, people tell me, well, I'm, I'm doing what you said, but what they're doing is just a little bit off. It kind of reminds me of um, where I thought I was going to be. You know, I've done a lot of projects like this, but one of them was I'm going to replace the battery in my key fob. And I watched a YouTube video, so it doesn't look that hard. So I popped it open, you know, I inserted the battery, I had the right kind of battery, and there was a little piece of plastic that was on the YouTube video that wasn't in my key fob, which was some little piece of plastic that kind of kept all of the buttons aligned because the when the key fob's all put together, there's the open the hatchback, there's the open the door, there's the lock the door, then there's also the alarm button. So, you know, I mean, the one in the middle is kind of an oval, and then there's these two more square shapes. So, you know, I lined up the little squares in the oval. I couldn't get the gosh darn thing closed. And I fiddled with this. I'm embarrassed to say how for how long, so I won't even bother to say, except finally I broke down and said, okay, I'm going to have to bring this to the car dealership. And I'm thinking I broke it when I took it apart because I have a tendency to catastrophize things. And if there's something bad that could happen, I'm, I'm going to think of what it is. So I'm thinking I'm going to need to buy a new one. It's going to be hundreds of dollars and all these horrible things. Okay. Well, when I got there, they were all excited. Oh, this is going to be the easiest thing we did today. 
I'm thinking, okay. So they take the key fob, and the problem was that, yes, there are two little rectangular shapes, and there's an oval shape in the middle, except I failed to recognize that the oval shapes, one could be on top, one could be on bottom. And I had the one that was supposed to be on top on the bottom. So all they had to do is just shift around my configuration, bing, bam, boom, key fob put together. So the point or the moral of the story is I'm trying to follow this YouTube video. It looks simple. How hard can it be? And I did almost everything they said except one little detail that screwed the whole thing up. And that can apply to anything, really. And it certainly applies to trying to train your pet. So I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, um, hey, you know, I'm doing what you said and it's not working. And I, or maybe it's not what I said, maybe it's what somebody else said. And then I kind of review everything to see exactly what they are doing. And there's some little piece there. Sometimes it's a bigger than a little piece, but very often it's just one little thing, like turning the inside of the key fob the other way. And so that's what I'm here to kind of help you with. If, uh, you know, you are trying to do something and it's just not working and why isn't it working? So we're going to try and figure that out together. So I guess one of the things uh, today, it's really cold out there. You can't miss that. But what's um, interesting about this winter, aside from today, which is super duper cold, is how warm it's been because for me, what residue snow, half-melted snow, icy um, icy melted, then refrozen snow is on the ground really affects my ability to work with dogs. So if it's like a typical winter, I have to restrict myself to driveways, shoveled areas, roads, paths, that are shoveled because generally speaking, the grassy areas are just not usable. They're slippery, they're yucky, whatever. And um, most of this winter, if there was a problem at all with the ground, it's a little bit muddy, but I don't remember a winter where I've had this much like open space on the ground. I thought, okay, well, then somebody said to me, like a week ago, oh boy, it's been so warm, the ticks are going to be awful come, you know, come spring. And I thought, yeah, probably so. And so now I'm thinking maybe there's a silver lining to this really Arctic freeze situation. And of course, I am not an entomologist, but I had to Google search what temperatures are going to kill ticks. And um, apparently, if it's below 14 degrees Fahrenheit, it's a pretty good chance you're going to kill ticks. Now, the combination of that there really isn't a lot of snow because apparently if there's layers of snow, even when it gets cold, it forms like, well, we'll say like a little tick igloo where the snow is sort of like an insulator. And so if the ticks are buried under layers of snow and then it gets really cold, that's actually protective to ticks. You know, who knew this stuff, right? <laughs> but anyway, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, there's no snow and it's really cold. That'll teach you, you little suckers. So I'm hoping that this actually does, you know, cut into the tick population. Of course, it's not going to kill them 100%, but um, maybe that will make up for a little bit of um, the fact that we've had such warm temperatures where they, you know, aren't dying and then we're going to get double trouble when it gets warm. So I'm just hoping that that truly is a silver lining. Um, and I guess time will tell. So this is what I was 
referencing earlier that I was going to go a little off topic here. Um, there was an article that I saw pop up on my computer, and of course, you know, I've got to I've got to read this thing. It's it was mammoths are going to be um, reconstituted or brought back to life. Okay, and 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 this part, you know, I, I don't know about this part. And they're going to be uh, put into the Arctic, and they're going to help with global warming. And I thought to myself, okay, come on now, this this sounds this sounds like the, a movie plot. This can't be real, all right? So you know, I have to look into it a little a little more detail here. And sure enough, there's a. Harvard Medical School geneticist named George Church, who thinks that, you know, given, I don't know, five years, I think the target date was 2027, that indeed he is planning to bring back to life woolly mammoths. Well, how the heck are you going to do that? Well, apparently you take the genetic material of the woolly mammoth, which is 996 equal, similar to Asian elephants. And you take the woolly mammoth DNA or however you do this. I don't know. This is this is out of my level of expertise. And you implant it in an Asian elephant. And then the Asian elephant's going to give birth to the woolly mammoth with maybe, I don't know, 0.4% uh, Asian elephant genetics, since they're only 99.6 stem. I don't know. But, you know, I think most of us have seen Jurassic Park, you know. And I, I, I don't know what, what are you thinking here? Because aside from the fact that I don't, I mean, listen, do I think it's interesting? Yeah. Would I like to see a woolly mammoth? Yeah, that'd be fun. I'd like to see a woolly mammoth. But, you know, what What are you going to do? What makes you think that, A, it's going to work, B, they're going to like living in the Arctic, and everything's just going to be all hunky-dory, and the part about that they're going to somehow solve global warming issues? That I didn't even look that one up because that one was way out there. But apparently the, the, the cost for doing something like this, and I don't believe they have scraped up all of this money so far, is going to be to the tune of $74 million. Okay, so I can think of a lot of things that you could do with $74 million, like maybe preserve the animals that are alive and are doing well in our earth environment now and have not gone extinct, but are being threatened to go extinct because of a variety of factors. Why don't we work to help them who we know are able to reproduce naturally, who live in this world um, and are not some sort of a Jurassic Park reliving situation here. But anyway, who knew? So I, I mean... Is this going to happen? Well, I guess there's somebody who wants to make it happen. Will it? Eh, I don't know. But the reason I'm bringing it up on Pet Talk, because I don't think we're going to have anybody getting woolly mammoths as pets, or at least I hope not, um, is I think most people who like pets like animals just in general. Uh, I don't think I've ever met anyone who likes dogs or cats or rabbits or domestic animals who doesn't have some sort of appreciation of wild animals in, in the natural world. So, you know, what is up with that? And where are they getting this funding from? That's what I want to know. So anyway, I just thought, 
the listeners might be interested to hear this really wacky story that it actually is has some truth to it. And with that, I think we need to go to a break. It was just my dog and me. Hello, and welcome back to WTIC's Pet Talk. You're listening to the Behavior Edition with Lori Fass. And uh, I was really going off track with uh, woolly mammoths who are going to be brought back to life before the break. So I'm not they're going to be brought back to life before the break. But a news story that uh, I, I just wanted to share with people. But anyway, we're going to go back, try to get rein it in a little bit here and be a little more practical talking about our pets. And if you want to call in with a question or a comment, uh, you are more than welcome to do it at 860-522-WTIC. I'll be here till 2. Lines are open. So again, it's 860-522-WTIC. Or if you want to contact me off the air, you are more than welcome to do that. And if you want to do that, the best way to get a hold of me would be to check my website, which is laurifassdogtraining.com. And you can get a hold of my email, you can get a hold of my phone number, and I'll be happy to talk to you off the air. So anyway, you know, the cold weather is like a big thing right now, and hopefully it's not going to be a big thing tomorrow. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have any more Arctic blasts like this, Probably not this bad, but uh, I was watching the news, Channel 30, and there was a representative from the Humane Society who, um, I don't know her name, even though I watch her on the news all the time, and uh, she was talking about uh, leaving dogs in cars, and she was saying that, well, in the summer, your car is like an oven, and in the winter, especially weather like this, your car is a refrigerator. And uh, I'm thinking about that, and, uh, you know, I mean, there's certainly some truth to that, uh, but uh, there are dogs that are much more resilient to cold than other dogs. And um, in your car, the you get some heat from the sun through the glass, which actually would be good if it's cold. So I've spoken on the air before about, uh, you know, getting your dog a coat. And um, two of my dogs have their coats on, (laughs) my littlest one and one of my mini Aussies. But they're 13 and 14, and so they're not – they're not as resilient as uh, my younger dogs. None of them are just hanging out outside. But what I'm saying is that, yes, of course, be mindful of, of putting your dog in the car and leaving them there. Um, it's certainly just like you or I, if we're just sitting still and not moving around, um, you're going to get colder than if you're walking and moving. Um, so, you know, when I'm teaching lessons, sometimes uh, we're just sort of chatting about what the problem is and strategizing. And um, I have a little bag I carry with me that has different size dog coats. And so if a dog starts to look cold, I'll say, okay, I think your dog is cold. We better, uh, we better put something, um, better put something on them. So um, anyway, so if you did want to bring your dog with you, what I'm saying is uh, if it's sunny out and it's warming the interior of your car, your dog has a coat, they're not particularly sensitive to cold. 
You know, if you have a Siberian Husky and they're sitting in your car right now and they're in there for 10 minutes, I think they're going to be fine. If you have a little old Chihuahua with no fur, eh, probably not a good idea. But anyway, use a little common sense. And, you know, again, I thought that was a point well taken. But, you know, give it some thought and consideration as to uh, how that's going to work. Okay, we have Ellen. Let's see if I can get Ellen. Hi, Hi, Alan. Hi, uh, thank you for that you have uh, this, uh, I have this opportunity to have you help me. Um, I've got an 18-pound um, yellow Maine coon cat, okay. a male. Yeah. And he gets constipated off and on, and I have I have given him Metamucil, as the, my vet had advised me to. But, I mean, now he's in the phase where his poops are, like, hard. Okay. Well, um, Alan, I just want to um, give a disclaimer here (laughs) before I give you any advice, which I actually will do. But you know that this show alternates between myself and Dr. Dennis, who's a veterinarian. And so I am not a veterinarian. I have had lots of cats. I have had lots of dogs. Um, So I'm going to ask you just a couple of common sense questions and possibly give you some suggestions. But you know, Dr. Dennis will be on next week, so you could also run it by her, okay? So let me ask you this. What does he eat? I, I buy him um, the good food from Chewy. It's, well, what is it, dry or canned or what? Dry and, um, and wet. Okay, and how much of the dry does he eat versus the canned, would you say? Um, probably equal. Okay. And he drinks a lot of water, and his... Um, his litter box shows that he passes right through him, and uh, he loves his treats. And uh, But I'm just concerned that it's hurting him having such hard poop. Okay. Well, w- what would happen if you just fed him canned food? Oh, interesting. He would probably tag along with me wherever I walk in the house thinking I'm going to his treats. So okay. If, so so maybe so so I would I would maybe lean towards that. And then also, does he get any kind of a probiotic? No. Okay. Well, um they sell probiotics for dogs and cats. And uh, and you can get those from Chewy. Just Google, you know, go on Chewy and probiotics, dogs and cats. And it's usually a powder, and it'll mix right in with his canned food. Cool. And um, so, you know, it, when I think dogs, cats, humans, if we're constipated, it's because, you know, too much moisture is being sucked out of our intestines if we have more moisture in there that's supposed to too much too many treats then maybe or just too much dry food you know but i would definitely go with the probiotics okay okay so if he hasn't Mm -hmm. if you haven't given him probiotics that's that's a good idea also you know that um i don't know if you've ever seen this i haven't seen it in the store recently um, you know that uh, the wheatgrass stuff that they grow for cats to chew on? Right. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, absolutely. And he loves it, but I've been without a car. Okay, well, you got to go to chew it. Well, they, I think they have powdered greens that also you can put in his food. Okay. So I might go with that. Okay. You know, but I think that I I use a lot of supplements. You know, if my 
my uh, eating prep area for my dogs looks like I'm, you know, some kind of mad scientist or something. But <laughs> but I have found that it's been very helpful. But we've got to go to a break. Why don't you try those things? And you can talk to Dr. Dennis next time. I don't know about that. Ask Dr. Dennis that one. Okay, that's that's beyond me. I'd try these other things mm-hmm. first. We'll do the probiotic. Thank you very much. Uh, and the greens. Do the greens powder. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for calling. Bye. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. That she chewed in Hello, and welcome back to WTIC's Pet Talk. You're listening to Lori Fass on this behavior edition of the show. I'm here till 2, so you have some time if you'd like to call in. We've got lines open at 860-522-WTIC. Again, 860-522-WTIC. Or if you want to contact me off the air, uh, you're welcome to do that. Just check my website, LoriFastDogTraining.com. And I just wanted to clarify for listeners, for those of you who don't know, uh, this is an unusual show because... uh, you're going to find it has two different editions. There's the behavior edition, which is what you're listening to right now. And then there's the medical edition. And this month, there's going to be just a on and off rotation, no glitches in there. So uh, next week will be the medical edition, then I'll be back, and then the medical edition again. So if you have a specific question that's related to behavior or a specific question that's more medical in nature, you might want to keep that in mind. So I just wanted to share that, so eliminate any sort of confusion on, on that note. And um, I also, on my website, I post when I'm going to be on because a lot of people ask me and sometimes I don't even know, especially if it's not a strict rotation. And I just wanted to take the opportunity really quickly to mention that um, I'm going to be starting up some group classes. Uh, I 
kind of took most of the winter off, although I really wouldn't have had to with the weather we had, although it was pretty yucky rain-wise, and I do like to be outside. Anyway, um, I'm going to be teaching in the town of Windsor at the end of February. It's a Sunday morning class. All the information's on my website. It's sponsored by the town of Windsor, but you don't have to be a resident. You can just come to the class, and I offer it for a very reasonable price, which is $90 for residents, $100 for non-residents. And if you think that sounds like it might be good for you, check out my website or get in touch with me, and I can tell you more about it. Anyway, I wanted to talk a little bit about how um, people often say to me how smart their pet is or sometimes out of frustration, they'll tell me how stupid their pet is. And what's interesting about that statement is that most of the time when people say how smart their pet is, it's usually a statement of how much they love their pet or how little trouble their pet is and how willing their pet is to go along with what they want. And it's not necessarily uh, an accurate statement of, okay, this really is a extraordinarily smart pet. I mean, I'm not going to say that it's sometimes not, but most people, when they make that statement, you know, if they're having trouble, you know, solving a problem or the dog is being really annoying or, you know, they'll say, I've tried to get my dog to do this or not do that and they just won't do it. And I just want to make it really crystal clear that how smart a pet is has nothing to do with, um, how cooperative it is, or how easy it is to live with. As a matter of fact, just a FYI announcement here, um, Ted Bundy had an IQ of 136. Jeffrey Dahmer had an IQ of 145. And the Unabomber had an IQ of 160. So I'd say all three of those gentlemen were pretty gosh darn smart, but it didn't seem to do much for their uh, social awareness or um, making it easy to live with them or live in society. So just because a person or an animal is smart or isn't smart uh, has absolutely nothing to do with what they might be like to live with. Um, And then also, you know, just kind of delving into this a little more detailed here, uh, there's different types of intelligence. There's a book, it's not about pets, but I think it does apply to pets. A lot of psychological type things do apply to pets. And the book is The Seven Types of Intelligence, written by Howard Gardner. And since he wrote the book, which I can't give you a date on when that book was written, uh, he's added more types of intelligence. So, for example, um, there's you know your logical type of intelligence, verbal intelligence, mathematical intelligence, musical intelligence, uh, artistic intelligence, uh, human interaction intelligence. There's intra and interpersonal intelligence, meaning that, you know, you have a very good awareness of how people are feeling or acting, or you have a very good awareness of what is going on within yourself. Um, So different types of emotional intelligence. Uh, and I think this this applies, it definitely applies to pets, okay? So, you know, somebody named Stanley Corin um, wrote a book called The Intelligence of Dogs, and he was trying to kind of narrow this whole concept down a little bit. So he did a couple of things in the book. One was he surveyed 
obedience judges, AKC obedience judges, who are watching dogs perform in the AKC obedience events. And he wanted to get their input into who they thought were the most intelligent dogs. And so number one came in as the Border Collie. And I guess they didn't, you know, survey all breeds because there's quite a few. So the ones that they'd see most frequently. Number 79, which was the lowest of the list of dogs they surveyed, apparently, was the Afghan Hound. And coming in at 72, one of my favorite breeds, was the Mastiff. Now, what they're really surveying here is how do these dogs perform in obedience trials? Or how quickly are they going to pick up on these commands that you want them to do? Now, mastiffs are not stupid. They just, they, you know, you, if you want them to do something, let's say I've got my mastiff across the room and I tell, uh, I had a mastiff named Eliza and I'd say, Eliza, come. She's going to look at me. She's going to a little process time there. <laughs> okay. And, um, yeah. You know, she's going to kind of lumber along and, you know, she's not being defiant. It's just a little longer process time and, you know, shifting gears. Sometimes massives are get in their own way. Uh, I usually teach a command go, which just means back up. And she literally, in certain circumstances, had to back up. She couldn't turn around. She had to back up. Now, I used to have a Dutch Shepherd and, uh, you know, you could tell him something and before you even uttered the words, he'd like super speedy. My youngest um, miniature Australian Shepherd, also known as a miniature North American Shepherd, AKC assigned him that, but they're basically small versions of Aussies. Um, when I open my door to let my dogs in, he's usually in before I even know he's in. He's so fast. If he wants to do something, boy, he, he can move like grease lightning. He likes to play frisbee. He loves frisbee. He's maniacal over frisbee. I didn't teach him to play frisbee. He likes to play frisbee. I discovered that he likes to play frisbee. So if you want to train your dog to play frisbee and they don't want to, I'd say forget it. That's not going to happen. So the point is that if I was going to measure arrow, that's my youngest dog, his frisbee IQ, it would be very high, okay? If I was going to measure his, okay, quit making screaming noises IQ because you're too excited and you want to go out and play frisbee, uh, you know, he'd be met, the quiet command, he's, he, you know, that is a struggle for him. He will do it, but um, I kind of uh, exploited that and turned it into a command. So I, if I say to Arrow, what are you, crazy? He'll go, and jump up in the air and spin around and snap at the air and act all crazy. That's because that's how he acts. That's part of what he likes to do. So training got him to stop and be quiet and wait. Um, and, you know, he's not completely unamenable, but he is a little stubborn. When I show people that trick that he does, I had one person say to me, well, I don't want to train my dog to do that. And you know what? I would have no idea how to train your dog to do that if they didn't do it already. So, you know, this applies to a lot of different things. Let's, for instance, take the come command. You let a dog outside. What are they going to do? No training. Are they going to check in with you and not want to leave you and make sure everything's cool and they have no interest in taking off and running off into the wild blue yonder? Um, I know dogs that have had almost 
no training or in some cases no training at all. And they're not going to go anywhere. And if you call them, they're going to come to you because that's what they want to do. And a lot of people tell me, oh, look how smart my dog is. It comes when I call. No, your dog wants to come when you call. That doesn't mean it's smart. It just wants to. On the other hand, um, if you have a dog who is very intelligent, um, and really has their own personal agenda. And I would put uh, breeds like Siberian Huskies into that category. Uh, they figure out just as quickly how to not do what you said as they'll figure out what to do. And they're notorious for being uh, not reliable off-leash. And a lot of dogs who, you know, you really have to be careful with having them off-leash or just don't even do it unless you really know how to do the training process. Does that make them stupid? No, it just means they have a completely different agenda. And um, so this, oh, my dog is smart, my cat is smart. I don't know, they might be, but you just might love them and they're going along. I think we people do this with other people. Um, somebody disagrees with you and how many times do you hear people call other people stupid because you don't agree with them, because you don't agree with their point of view, and how could they possibly think that? And so people say they're stupid. That doesn't mean they're stupid. <laughs> so people apply this to their pets as well. You know, my pet does what I want. They're smart. My pet doesn't do what I want. They're stupid. Um, so Stanley Corrin, who, as I say, wrote this book, The Seven Types of Intelligence. No, that was Howard Gardner. Sorry. Howard Gardner wrote Seven Types of Intelligence. Stanley Corrin wrote The Intelligence of Dogs, and one of the things was surveying obedience judges. But he also, in his book, had a test, an IQ test um, on, you know, you give your dog different grades based on how they do. Well, most of these tests were food-generated tests. So, you know, put a piece of food under a cup, but there's three cups, so now your dog has to figure out which one it is. Well, if your dog doesn't want the stinking treat, <laughs> okay, then it's not a very good test. I mean, what kind of test is that? Um, and, you know, how about you put your food under three cups and your dog just comes and knocks all three of them over simultaneously? Is that smart or is that stupid? I don't know. It might be pretty smart. I know very strong, boisterous dogs who are given those little puzzle uh, toys where you put treats in them and then they're supposed to be moving them around, you know, kind of like a little puzzle game where they're supposed to figure out how to, you know, get the treat out of there. And I've known some of these dogs, they just take the thing and they break it. They smush it and crack it and bang it. Yeah, they got all the treats. Was that smart or was that stupid? I don't know. And one of the tests, which was really, I think, kind of funny, uh, was you're supposed to take a towel and you let the dog sniff the towel. And then you're supposed to put the towel over the dog's head and cover the dog. And how quickly the dog gets the towel off their head is supposed to be a measure of intelligence. Well, it could be a measure of, I'm fine with this. How many dogs like to be buried under blankets or I don't really care right now I don't know what's with you putting this towel on my head but whatever does that mean they're stupid because they didn't want to take the towel off their head maybe they just don't care so you can't assign intelligence based on motivation or how an animal perceives something and then I thought it would be funny to try this test with one of my cats. So the idea was I'm going to take the towel, put it on the cat, and see how quickly the cat gets out from the towel. Well, I let the cat sniff the towel, 
and then I reached up like I was going to put it on the cat. The cat already knew I was what I had in mind. The cat said, no way, buddy. You're not putting that stupid towel on me. I'm out of here. And that was not one of the multiple choices that animal recognizes you're going to put towel on them and hightails it. I'd say that one deserves a really high score, but that wasn't even, you know, a possible choice. So anyway, I guess the bottom line, the thing that I'm trying to convey here is there's many different types of intelligence, how to measure it, what does it mean, how does it come together. It's not that simple. But I think we need to go to one more break and we will be right back. Hello and welcome back to WTIC's Pet Talk. That was Freddie Mercury singing Delilah, which is his cat, or was his cat. Um, and uh, I got Kevin to play my favorite part of the song. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes people listen to songs and hear lyrics and, oh, Delilah, yeah, yeah, yeah. But people don't, wait a minute. He just said he peed all over his Chippendale something or what? So who who's that? It's a cat. That's what. But I remember people telling me, they listen to certain songs for years, so they're very catchy and, oh, yeah, I'd sing along. And then, they, wait a minute, what are they actually singing about? And I think a lot of times people just don't even know. So anyway, before the break, we were talking about uh, how intelligent is your pet, what is your perception of that, that uh, different people try to measure that in different ways and judge it and grade it and, um, you know, it's just so interesting to me. Um, how intelligent animals can be in certain ways. Like, for instance, I was talking about how um, Stanley Corin, um, who wrote a book, The Intelligence of Dogs, uh, surveyed obedience judges and mastiffs weighed in at 72, which isn't great. Um, but I, I'm going to say he's my friend. He's not my dog. His name is Andy, and he's about six, and he's a mastiff, and he's a big boy. He's probably close to 200 pounds. And when he was a youngster, he was very rascally. And uh, one of the things that he liked to do was uh, take things that didn't belong to him and hop all around and look all mischievous and make people crazy. So um, I had him visiting me at my house and I um, decided that I was going to do a little training with him. And I took a collection of things. Uh, basically, this is a dog toy. This is a shoe. Uh, here's a crumpled up paper towel. I don't know, just things that he might take that he shouldn't take and things that would per be perfectly fine for him to take. And so I set up kind of a, uh, oh, I don't know, just a big circle with all of these items. And I wanted to see what he was going to do. And I wanted to teach him to drop it if he picked up an item that was not supposed to be his. And, uh, <laughs> this is where I'm going to, again, he's going to get real high marks for intelligence. He knew exactly what things he could have. It was uncanny. I, I don't even know exactly how he knew this because he was a very young dog. But we walked around the circle. He happily picked up toys. And keep in mind, I wasn't cueing him or, or at least not obviously cueing him. I wasn't meaning to cue him. Uh, and he knew. He just acted like he was a big dummy uh, when he was home because he wanted to, not because, um, you know, he was too 
dumb to to make that distinction. And of course, there's the story of, uh, which is a true story, about a horse named Clever Hans. And this was uh, something that took place, I think, in the late 1800s. Someone had a horse and thought, well, you know, the reason that horses cannot do math is because um, nobody ever taught them, which, okay, <laughs> that's your theory. So he had this young horse and he spent all this time trying to teach the horse math. And over time, he would it would appear that the horse did know math. He would ask the horse a mathematical question. And then the horse with its hoof would kind of bang out what the correct answer was. And so he took clever Hans to a number of different places and uh, scientists and people who were intelligent people trying to figure out what was the deal here? How is it possible that this horse could be doing math? And um, and you can look this up. It's I'm not making this up. If you Google search Clever Hans, it'll give you a little more details if you want it. So in any case, um, what ended up happening was that um, somebody was smart enough to figure out that the horse, although didn't necessarily do the math, was smart enough to know when it got to the answer based on picking up some kind of cue that Hans's owner was doing. But Hans's owner didn't know he was doing it. The people watching didn't know he was doing it. But the way they figured it out is they either gave the owner a question he did not know the answer to or had the owner completely out of the equation, no pun intended, and then the horse couldn't do it. So the conclusion that people drew from this is, ah, ha, ha, yeah, stupid, the horse can't do math, boy, he's dumb after all. Well, how about this for a conclusion? Ha, ha, stupid people, you aren't able to perceive what it is that the horse is looking at or feeling or seeing when he knows that the correct answer was reached. So that's certainly a type of intelligence, maybe not a mathematical genius, but I think being able to perceive those sorts of very subtle um, mood changes or I don't know, is like a lie detector. I don't know what the horse was picking up on. I think that was extremely interesting. But again, the conclusion that was drawn was, ha ha, the horse can't do math, not ha ha, people aren't able to pick up on these small perceptions of things. And that that whole concept of what was the horse actually looking at, to me, that whole, that was completely lost, which is really sad because I think that uh, that type of awareness and that type of perception that often animals have, that humans tend to disregard, um, is something worth cultivating. So sometimes we can look a little bit beneath the surface of what do we want, what do we look at, what do we think is important, and look to animals to uh, see things a little deeper with a little bit of a different perspective. And for me, that's one of the reasons that I really do love doing what I'm doing, because um, I feel like I have that to gain from my interaction with, with my pets and just with the natural world. So that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of Pet Talk. Thanks for listening. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.